This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. On uh, Just as the... Um sun dips below the horizon it's duckish out there now it's well dipped below the horizon i was telling my um, colleagues in the newsroom today claudette that sometime the weekend the sun suddenly beamed into the living room like like a blast laser yeah (laughs) came right on into the living room and i lifted my head i was like wow what oh yeah wow sun (laughs) and like two seconds i I, you know i was going about my business and when i came back i could already see that the shadow had moved Mm -hmm. and uh it struck me then i was watching the shadow i was actually watching the shadow move across the wall and I wasn't there long watching it happen. You know Sad, what I mean? Sad, isn't it? Uh, that's how quickly <laughs> yeah. it was moving. So, uh, or we're moving, I should say. Because we're moving. That's Around so the sun. <laughs> Going back to my grade four, you know, <laughs> whatever. It uh, came in handy. <laughs> but you know, where we're so, where the sun is so low on the horizon throughout the course of the day, it just zooms. It did, yeah, and it's just a source, like a thorn in my side. I just, you know, when you said, look, it's duckish, I had to look out because 20 minutes ago, it actually looked nicer. It looked beautiful. It yeah. did. And yeah. now it's like, mm, can't, uh. <laughs> <laughs> can I see that? <laughs> anyway, yeah, there you go. Uh, be careful out there. This is a worst time of day, too, you know, because you're, headlights are not really doing much and the street lights if you have street lights in your area are not very doing very much so it's really hard to see and then there's like moosey's at the on the go saying i'm gonna go for it now yeah got no problem at all what's a car no yeah. exactly so uh, just be careful uh, pedestrians too my goodness gracious i find it so hard to see pedestrians on the road oh after my dark gosh. and i know like sometimes you just grab a coat i'm guilty of it too i grab my black coat which yeah. is a goat too and we got to start carrying these reflectors with us. How many people darted out in front of me at night wearing all black? But I'm not, it's not a bl- name, you know, a blame game. I've worn black too because yeah. you just don't have it in it's your so car. It's so hard to see. It's, yeah, but it's just it, hard to see. It's so hard to see. Yeah. Uh, anyway, everybody be careful. <laughs> um, we've been talking healthcare uh, a lot over the last uh, couple of days. Uh, the province yesterday announced the details of a new deal with Teladoc. That's a U.S.-based company to provide virtual care to those without a family doctor and also offer virtual emergency room coverage. Uh, people signed on with Patient Connect will soon be able to avail of the new service provided i suppose that they have a smartphone and provided that they have access to wi-fi that's a little bit of a sticking point for some people especially in rural remote areas um, with government noting that as people are connected with family care teams and family doctors they will no longer be eligible for virtual care service so once you get that doctor or get that uh, access to a family care team um, you don't have to worry about that anymore this is sort of it's meant to be a stopgap. when asked if the initiative is a temporary solution or will be permanent health minister tom osborne leaned towards the latter that's causing great consternation as you would appreciate among those in the healthcare sector the newfoundland and labrador medical association calls the two-year 22 million dollar contract a stopgap measure that does not address the province's chronic shortage of healthcare professionals nlma president dr gerard farrell says virtual care is not a long-term solution and physician shortages must be addressed i asked him 
whether the NLMA was consulted on the decision to seek out a contract on virtual care services. Here's what he had to say. We were allowed to take part in the demos uh, when the RFP, uh, when, when, when the proponents came forward in the RFP. Uh, we did not have a big role to play in the formation of the RFP, or and we had, I don't think, any role in the evaluation of the RFP. The only physician that I'm aware of who was involved with the evaluation of the RFP proponents was someone who worked for the Regional Health Authority. The NLMA did not have. We had just we had discussions with the minister, and we had we had uh, we had an opportunity to. to to have input in that way, but directly into the RFP or directly into the evaluation of the proponents, we had little or no, little or no access. And, and you know, that, that's something that, that I think government could work on. The nurses, the doctors, the pharmacists, the social workers, we're out there in the community. We know where the gaps are. We know how those gaps could be filled. And it would be great if, 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 if government was working in a more cooperative relationship with some of those professions around how those gaps get filled. Um, and and that, that could be done better. You know, we, we sit across the table, we say to government, here's what you need to do to help with recruitment and retention. And sometimes while we know that they listen, sometimes they come up with ideas and announcements that for us are relatively novel and, and, and don't seem to fit with some of the things that we've been telling them. That said, will you be monitoring now, uh, you know, what goes on over the next two years? We will, because we've got to try and figure out how this fits into all of the other initiatives that there are uh, ongoing there. You know, if this if this is not a solution for recruiting, recruiting and retaining physicians for this province, uh, we will be looking at how it gets implemented, how it gets rolled out, how that impacts on our members' capacity to provide care for their patients, how it impacts on patients' uh, ability to, to receive care, and, and try to determine how that fits into what should be a more holistic and comprehensive solution to the problem of we don't have enough workers to provide care to the people of this province, whether that's nurses, pharmacists, social workers, you go all the way down the line respiratory technicians for crying out loud or sorry uh, uh, respiratory technicians and, and radiation technologists so we don't have enough of anything how this fits into that and whether and what impact this has will be something that we'll be keeping a very close eye on and will you be reaching out to government in the interim now uh, just to sit down with them and see how this is all going to work one of the things that's come out of recent discussions with government is the need to have regular uh, conversations with the minister and with with the uh, with the deputy, and the NLMA and uh, and government have have agreed to have uh, regular uh, uh, regular discussions around what the NLMA thinks that government should be doing, what government intends to do, and how those two things work together. So, yes, we will. I'm hoping that this is going to be part of those regular discussions, because at the end of the day, the people of this province deserve to have the resources that they need to receive the kind of health care that they need. So that's NLMA President Dr. Gerard Farrell. Well, the Nurses Union is cautioning government against spending public funds on private health care services. I spoke with Yvette Coffey earlier this afternoon. What's the RNU's response to this? Well, we all know that we have a shortage of primary health care providers uh, throughout Newfoundland and Labrador, and particularly rural and remote areas. Um, you know, virtual and telephone care for some people is a good option when we have no other option. However, virtual care is not an option for everyone, and the best possible care that anyone could get is in-person, hands-on assessment. And, you know, I know this is the government continuing to work to come up with solutions 
to provide care to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. However, this is a Band-Aid solution. And this is investing our taxpayers' money in another private company, just like the agency nurses, which we've been talking about now for the past year. And what it is is lining their pockets because at the end of the day, they're responsible to their state, their um, shareholders, not to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. And we need to continue, as the government has been doing, continue to invest in the retention and recruitment of registered nurses, practitioners, all health care providers, so that we get to the gold standards of having primary health care teams in every nook and cranny of this province. Is there a concern here that this two-year contract will be extended? Because realistically, can we solve uh, the staffing shortages in health care within a two-year period? Realistically, if we invested $11 million in the retention and creating more nurse practitioner positions for primary health care in this province and compensated them as they should be compensated, I think that we could put a good dent in the vacancies uh, for primary health care uh, and not just nurse practitioners, physicians as well, and everybody who's going to be involved in these primary care teams. I think that should be the focus, and I think that would give us more rewards. Are you worried that this is another, uh, I guess, uh, step towards privatization of health care? Very worried that this is another step towards privatization of healthcare. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, the Canadian Health Act is publicly funded, publicly delivers healthcare. Right now, uh, recently, I just participated in a um, group session with the new minister, uh, federal minister of health, Mark Holland, and our own MP here, uh, Seamus O'Regan, who is the minister responsible for seniors. And they're actually looking at long-term care standards and legislation um, under the publicly funded health care system. So I do believe the federal government is committed to our publicly funded health care system. And I believe that our provincial government, and I've heard Premier Fazuri say it, are committed to a publicly funded, publicly delivered health care system. But I do believe that it's a slippery slope going down this privatization every time there's another contract awarded. Was the Nurses' Union consulted on this? No. We became aware of this when this was announced yesterday. So what kind of solutions would the Nurses' Union uh, provide if uh, you had been uh, approached? Our comments would have been, we need to be working together as uh, a team. All primary health care team members, all stakeholders, need to be involved in the conversation um, and to talk about solutions that are being brought forward um, as a team because we can't do it alone. A registered nurse or a nurse practitioner can't do it alone. A physician can't do it alone or a social worker or the list goes on and on. We need everybody involved and solutions. It has to be a solution-driven discussion to talk about our publicly funded healthcare system and how we invest that money in retention and recruitment of healthcare professionals and healthcare providers so that we can provide the gold standard of care to our patients. That is Nurses Union President uh, Yvette Coffey. When we come back, NAEP weighs in. This is News Talk on VOCM. 
Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. And we are back. Well, a two-year, $22 million agreement reached with the U.S.-based Teladoc for the delivery of virtual health services is getting the attention of those involved in the healthcare sector. NAEP represents a large number of professionals working in healthcare. President Jerry Earle joins me now. Hello, Jerry Earle. Good day. How are you? Good. So we've uh, heard from the nurses' union. We've heard from the NLMA. What is NAEP's take now on this announcement uh, involving Teladoc and the uh, supply of virtual services here in Newfoundland and Labrador? I certainly share what some of it say. First of all, using healthcare analogy, we're putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound here. Uh, this is, again, continued privatization creep into our public healthcare system. It's not going to build any capacity within our healthcare system of uh, physicians or pra- uh, practical nurses or nurse practitioners, I should say. Uh, and I think it's going to lead to greater problems in the road because potentially what I'm even hearing is this could actually take from resources uh, that we have in an already strained system. The money being spent on this uh, service, stopgap, as the Nurses Union and the NLMA and yourself are saying, um, where could that be better spent? To do just what they're doing, $22 million. Uh, here in Newfoundland and Labrador, we pride ourselves on the technology and the technology companies that have set up here. Just imagine if in our own public health care system, because there is a place for virtual care, but why couldn't we do it in the envelope of the health care system that we have, where we utilize nurse practitioners that we have or could recruit, uh, where we have physicians that we have or could recruit, uh, right here in Newfoundland and Labrador, without sending $22 million dollars to the United States. Just imagine what that could do where you could actually pick up and talk to a doctor or a practical nurse right in Newfoundland, whether it be in Grand Falls or in St. John's, if a center set up where they could do that uh, and build our own capacity. Because my concern is what is this going to look like down the road when there's a, a reliance on this? Are we going to take our foot off the accelerator now of trying to recruit family doctors and nurse practitioners because we have a $22 million going to the United States somewhere that we could keep air own province. Uh, and there's great concerns around this. Like our national union done a research paper some back not too long ago, actually, and it's quite relevant, where all kinds of concerns around privacy, uh, around access, and even the Auditor General took a look at it in Ontario, and some of the findings were alarming. Just, let me just read one line from it. These include a physician with billions of 1.7 million in 2019-20 who claimed to have seen 321 patients in a single day. This was an Auditor General in Ontario reviewing a similar system uh, as what we're talking about here. So uh, major concerns because I'm not sure what access we'll have to review what this private entity will be doing within the parameter of our public health care system, the access that they will have. And access is is an interesting term here, too, because uh, ostensibly this is supposed to be connecting people with uh, a doctor for, you know, whatever reason they may have. But um, you have to have an app. You have to have access to Wi-Fi. You have to be able to book it that way. And realistically, who will that serve? 
especially when we're talking about rural and remote areas. Rural and remote areas, access is one thing. Then we keep talking about this aging population, Newfoundland, Labrador, uh, where many of them would much prefer to be able to visit a doctor. And I know that's an issue now, but my fear is we will take our focus off trying to retain and recruit uh, physicians and nurse practitioners and other health care providers. Uh, will people that are aged understand this? Uh, so all kinds of concerns. But like I said, again, uh, we've done campaigns in the past, we've talked about the past, but privatization, privatization in general, usually it costs more and does less. I believe this is the case here where already we're talking about $22 million. That's taxpayers' money belonging to Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, which is not even going to stay in Newfoundland Labrador to compensate doctors and practical nurses and health care providers here. Uh, it, how is that going to grow in the future? Uh, and how is that going to impact our delivery of healthcare services problems when you start to bleed out that money because this, this is just another piece on top of what we've already seen. So I think in our opinion, it's an error. Uh, it is a Band-Aid on a gaping wound that has not been properly treated. Uh, and yes, there is a place. One thing I will say, there is a place for virtual care, but we could do it right here in Newfoundland and Labrador using our own resources so that people will be contact, connecting with people that live here, work here, here understand our province and demographics uh, and would not lead, I think, to the cost of service. I think that um, that amount of money invested here in Newfoundland and Labrador could uh, reap benefits. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I actually know this is not the right direction to go. Jerry Earl, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much, Linda. So, uh, Jerry Earl and um, RNU President Yvette Coffey both uh, raised this question, and that is about the $22 million contract and the money going outside of the province to deliver a service to Newfoundlanders and Labradorians rather than spending it on people here in this province. And it kind of plays into um, a similar concern that's being expressed now in Ontario. I'm not sure if uh, many people are following this, but uh, federal cabinet ministers downplaying the number of foreign workers that next star energy will likely bring into the country to help build its heavily taxpayer subsidized battery plant in Windsor, Ontario. Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne says the company needs to bring in a few select people with expertise to help establish an electric vehicle battery industry in Canada. Labour groups, however, and politicians have raised concerns in recent days after Windsor police said as many as 1,600 workers from South Korea could arrive to build the plant. That's um, significantly different from a few select people with expertise. 1,600 workers sounds like an entire workforce. Uh, Employment Minister Randy Boissonneau says only one worker has been approved so far through the temporary foreign worker program. That's who's approved. but it's the type of thing where uh, I guess uh, everybody's watching very carefully how government money is spent and uh, how it gets spent and where it ends up. Uh, so a very interesting um, um, issue there um, indeed. On a more positive note, <laughs> 
The annual inflation rate cooled last month to its slowest pace since June. As the price of gasoline tumbled from year-ago levels, Statistics Canada reports inflation came in at 3.1% in October, down from 3.8% in September. Economist Tulwin at uh, tax and consulting firm RSM Canada calls the report encouraging and says it suggests that the Bank of Canada is likely done raising interest rates for the time being. Well, we live in hope, (laughs) don't we? Um, Interest rates, there are some suggestions that it might even be driving inflation now. So um, that's arguable, but uh, it's all very interesting. And it's part of this entire, I guess, all the pressures we're all facing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, inflation, that's all anybody's talking about. And people, if they're retired people wishing that their pensions could be keeping up with inflation as well. It's just everybody is watching it, but there seems not to be too much hope. I know that you said it is cooled, but I think industry watchers are still looking at weeks down the road in order to make an assessment. Well, what, you know, officials say is cooling Mm -hmm. and what the average everyday citizen notices are two different things, if you know what I'm saying. Um, Because if you or I walk into a grocery store today, we don't feel like inflation is cooling. Oh, not at all. In some cases, we feel like it's ramping up. Yeah, the prices of groceries for sure. Now, Uh, I noticed there's a few more, you know, two-for-one deals and these kinds of things. The bulk ones really drive me crazy, not to just digress. Yeah, I've noticed that. But yeah, buy three of these things and you, you'll you save such and such. Six cents. So uh, you don't need yeah. three of them, but you do because you don't want to pay like almost, you know, not quite double on one of the items. It's well, just gambling on what the price is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And we all assume that it's going to be higher. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I wish people could see my face right now. <laughs> <laughs> but we all feel it. We, we all feel do. it. And uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I've never been so picky buying groceries as I have been in the last year or so. Walking into a store saying, okay, I need this, this, and this, mm-hmm. and going in and looking at the prices, I, no. not today. No. Not doing it. I do that with recipes now. I try to use what I have in my house as opposed <laughs> to like going out to buy this crazy thing that you're only going to need one <laughs> recipe. I laugh. I laugh at that because my sister, who fancies herself a bit of a cook, is yeah. always coming down on me for my substitutions. Oh, oh you're <laughs> I am a very creative substitute. <laughs> wow. I've had this conversation the past couple of days with one of my sisters because she's like you. She's very creative. She'll substitute. So the recipe doesn't even look, look anything like close no, to the no original. Idea. Yeah. Sometimes it's amazing and sometimes it's a <laughs> catastrophic failure yes. uh and it's too bad because the amazing ones it's like what did i do there? oh you didn't pay attention you just had a pinch of this a pinch of that? that yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> well i have a hilarious christmas cookie story to tell oh. you a little later on about substitutions <laughs> i'm sorry i just made myself laugh all right we're up to news time now with noah shepherd this is news talk on vocm Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. 
And we're back. Well, the provincial government yesterday announced the creation of a policing transformation working group. Their mandate is to evaluate the current policing model, conduct public engagement, and provide ongoing advice. They say topics such as the evolving profile of criming, uh, crime, sorry, oversight and accountability, technological advancements, service delivery in rural and remote areas, training, and recruitment and retention have formed the scope and timing on the initiative. There are no timelines on when the work will be completed. In August, First Voice, which represents urban Indigenous people, uh, renewed its call for a police oversight board and last year released a report on what it called systemic problems in policing in Newfoundland and Labrador. Program Director with First Voice, Justin Campbell, joins me now. Well, hello, Justin Campbell. Hey, how are you? Good. So uh, tell us, what's First Voice take on this um, announcement made by Justice Minister John Hogan yesterday? Well, we were surprised to hear about the formation of this Policing Transformation Working Group. Um, Looking at the news, that was the first we ever heard of it. Uh, So we were disappointed that there had been no prior engagement with us, particularly given the significant amount of work uh, First Voice has already done on the subject of policing and police oversight. Well, indeed, and you released your uh, report uh, not that long ago. Uh, so what do you make of, uh, you know, what they're saying so far and and what should be done in future? Well, there are some things um, to like in what they've released. There's kind of a good, bad, and ugly scenario here. Um, the good stuff that they've released in... Um, or that they've announced as part of the working group is that they've touched on the issue of police oversight. They've touched on MMIWG, the calls for justice. Both of those things uh, were the starting point for the 26 recommendations that we developed ourselves. They're a very collaborative, community-driven process. We've released that report, as you already suggested, um, or as you already mentioned, last year, um, October 2022. We put forward 26 recommendations in those areas. We were disappointed not to have heard um, back from the minister in terms of either his acceptance of the serious issues uh, that we documented in that report or his position on the 26 recommendations that we put forward. Um, So we we think that um, a more collaborative process would make sense for moving forward with um, what they're calling transformation of policing in the province. Um, and we, I, I just don't see that with um, the terms of reference that they've released for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is the working group members are dominated by current or former police officers, so that's problematic. We're asking police uh, to come up with ideas for transforming themselves, um, and I don't think that's the right way to go about building greater accountability or transparency into the system. Um, and then on top of that, We've also got very vague terms of reference that don't set out any specific objectives uh, for the working group to address. There's no specific um, acceptance that there are systemic problems in policing in the province, including racism, lack of transparency, lack of accountability. So all of these things make it very difficult to have confidence in the process that they've built um, behind uh, closed doors and just announced uh, yesterday. What would you have preferred to see? Well, we would have preferred to see um, one of a number of things. Uh, They could have engaged with us to 
decide who should be on this working group. Certainly, we respect the expertise of policing in this area, but there are also many other um, more objective perspectives that need to be included. Uh, there are a number of experts in this area right across the province and even across the country. Um, they could have engaged with any of those people. And I would note, too, that there isn't a single lawyer on on this, this working group, which is problematic if you're looking at legislative changes. Um, but even that aside, uh, we would have liked to see uh, greater engagement by the government and transparency in um, the reasons why they have for forming this committee in the first place and the objectives that they're setting out for it, and also what the membership would look like. There should have certainly been a stronger civilian presence on uh, the working group. Have you reached out to the Department of Justice to get some answers? Uh, we have not yet. But I expect that you will. I expect that there will be conversations, we would hope. Um, on the other hand, um, once again, uh, the Minister of Justice promised us a response on our recommendations and never followed through on that. So I think that there is a deeper problem um, when it comes to justice and policing in the province here. So the Premier's Roundtable is taking place uh, in uh, Con River this week, um, but uh, a number of Indigenous groups uh, refusing to participate. Is First Voice involved? First Voice is not, but First Light as a Friendship Centre, which leads First Voice, um, is involved in that and glad to have a seat at the table for urban Indigenous people. What do you expect to come out of it? It's hard to say. Um, we have a number of priorities, and we would like to see the process be a little bit more collaborative for, um, for example, developing uh, agenda items. We'd also like to see a firmer commitment from the provincial government to include urban Indigenous voices in all kinds of decision-making processes, uh, like the roundtable moving forward. Does it concern you when, um, you know, two, you know, significant major Indigenous voices uh, uh, are not participating? Well, I think that probably goes to a lack of trust and confidence in the this particular provincial government when it comes to truth and reconciliation. And that should be a process that engages all Indigenous groups uh, together and moving forward in partnership in a spirit of trust and reconciliation. That's what it should be about. Um, so it's sad to see that that doesn't appear to be the case here. Justin Campbell, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, as always. And Justin Campbell is the program director with First Voice. Well, when we come back, uh, there is a, a young student from Mount Pearl who has been making a bit of a name for himself by performing and doing little concerts and that for, uh, you know, worthwhile causes. And he's got a little concert coming up this weekend. It's not a little one. It's actually a pretty big one. So we'll tell you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Okay, so Claudette, what's what's the most creative you've ever been with substitutions? Oh, <laughs> um, it would call for regular milk and I would use oat. Oat milk, really? I use oat for everything. I'm not a dairy person oh, for the most part. Interesting. And what's the flavor like? Oh, it's deli It's richer. Richer. It's yeah. 
creamer, creamier. I'm not a sweet person, but it's sweet and a little bit sweet. It's perfect. Very but good. that's not really creative. My sister would just be like you and just, <laughs> you know, it would if, if a, a spice or something looked remotely like another spice and she had that one and not another one, she would probably throw that in. Well, uh, <laughs> when I told my sister this one on the phone, and this is years ago now when I was living on my own, uh, she laughed that hard and I laughed that hard that if anybody had to be out on the street cross, but you know, passing by the house, they would have thought, "What's going on in there?" What did you substitute? What All right, for? so okay. here's the story. <laughs> I had a recipe for ginger snaps. Okay. It was around this time of year, <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. So I'm making my ginger snaps, and I'm going at it and mm -hmm. mixing it all up. And the oven is going because I had something else in at the time. So I couldn't leave the house. I was sort of stuck, if you know what I'm saying. Right. So here I am mixing up the ginger snaps and look at the recipe and uh, da -da -da -da, molasses. Oh, yeah, I got some molasses. Go over to the fridge. No molasses. Not a drop. So There's no molasses in the house. Corn syrup? <laughs> oh, Claudette, no. What did you do? No, that would make sense, wouldn't it? So you had none. Did you call around first? Nope. You didn't. Nope. You just automatically so I was went thinking, to something else. All right, molasses. I gave this some thought. Molasses. Sweet, right? Yeah. Sugary. Mm -hmm. Dark. Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Brown sugar. I'm really curious. What did you do? <laughs> Pepsi. <laughs> no, you I didn't. used I used some flat Pepsi I had in the fridge. In desperation. Okay. So would you ever people put molasses on bread? Your first clue probably should have been would I pour Pepsi over this slice of homemade bread? You know what? Probably they were delicious. Not. What? They were delicious. You were kidding. You know, oh, they were great. I wish I could re <laughs> recreate it at some point. Anyway, they looked fine. Yeah. Uh, they were nice. They had a nice little snap to them, believe it or not. Yeah, with a fizz. And uh, <laughs> and so people would eat them, and I'd be sitting there, you know, <laughs> proud as punch. i say, what are they like? And somebody say, they're different. They're different. I get, I'm getting something, uh, getting a taste on them. What could it be? <laughs> And I'm like, Pepsi. is it Pepsi? Do <laughs> <laughs> you want a Pepsi with it? <laughs> anyway, yeah. And then as soon as I'd say Pepsi, they were like, oh, I can taste the Pepsi. <laughs> so you get Pepsi snaps. Pepsi snaps. Yeah, that's what I did. You just created something. I hope pe Pepsi people are listening. Yeah. So there you go. I Browning was... Harvey, take yeah. that and do something with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that impressive. was my most creative substitution did you do one for one like i mean they're both completely different consistencies completely different yeah I that's know. amazing i don't that's brave desperation that's how the best ideas come from what accidents yeah a happy accident <laughs> well like the woman who created chocolate chips right oh she had no cocoa one. powder so she used she broke up a bit of chocolate ah. and put it in and they, they thinking it would melt yeah. And it didn't. It, they stayed little chunks. And, and all of a sudden, she has the most popular cookie in the entire world. So true. Pepsi snaps. Chocolate Linda chip cookies. <laughs> oh, no. There are a bunch of stories You heard it out here there. first, folks. So uh, <laughs> I... Uh, People are going to try that now at home. Yeah. Uh, it's patented. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, there you have it substitutions i'm impressed i really I am. am the queen of substitutions <laughs>
Well, um, we're playing Christmas music. Yes. It's a little more festive. It is. People like temperatures are cold. They are. And, and I feel that it really, you know, when you're going around doing your, your all huge to-do list this time of the year, to have that in the background just kind of makes you just mellow out a bit. Uh, people are putting up their lights. They are, yeah. More, yeah. Especially this time of year when mm-hmm. we're so craving a bit of light like we were talking about before. It's so nice to see those lights. Well, um, Alex Taylor, he's a 15-year-old grade 10 student at Mount Pearl Senior High. You're probably familiar with him, Claudette, because he calls into Open Line and the like every now and again. He is preparing for his fourth annual Merry and Bright Christmas concert fundraiser this weekend. And he joins me now. Well, hello, Alex. Hello. Is it too early to say Merry Christmas? I wouldn't say yes, but I mean, I guess it's just barely a month away. So personally, I would say it's a... Maybe a tiny bit early, but I would still say it. Right on. Well, you, no doubt you're preparing now for your fourth annual Merry and Bright Christmas Concert Fundraiser. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, it's happening on the 25th of November, 2023, at 7 p.m., St. Mary's Church Auditorium, Craig Miller Avenue. And I'm right excited for it. I got a really great lineup. Um, and just for $10, you can come see The Navigators, and a bunch of other local talent, some Ukrainians coming in and helping me out too. A bunch of amazing talent, and I'm very happy to have them all along with me. So this is four years now you've been doing this sort of thing. What prompted you to do it? Well, at the time it was, it was COVID, and I really thought it would have been nice to bring music into all the homes of different people. And now I I really like doing it to give back to the community. And in this particular case, you are uh, giving it to a uh, the, giving the money raised to a worthwhile cause. Tell us about that. Well, this year I will be giving it to Bridges to Hope, and I'm excited to say that we are. Um, they have been really nice with me, and you know I've I've had a few occasions with them by helping them out. And you know I really thought it's a really good time to help. And you know there's a lot of things going on in Christmas time, and this is the perfect time to give back. And how are you raising the funds? Is this a um, goodwill donation, or are you charging at the door, so to speak? How are you raising the funds? So tickets at the door, or you can call 709-691-4020. Uh, there'll be $10 each per person. There will also be a 50-50 uh, sold at the event, 50-50 ticket draw. Um, so that's how we're giving all, getting our, all the money for this awesome charity. And I am personally quite excited for it. Right on. And um, so you've been doing this for a while now. Um, How do you fit it all into your, you know, busy, no doubt, busy school, you know, period? Because uh, you're in grade 10 now. Things are starting to get a little more intense, I suppose, homework-wise and study-wise. So how do you fit it all in? Well, I always love doing stuff after school. I have... A little bit of time with all the other gigs and things all around, but you know, I love helping out, and it's it's the littlest thing I can do. Give out my talent for to help others. All right, and once again, anybody who's interested, uh, when and where? It'll be on St. Mary's Church Auditorium, Craig Miller Avenue, November twenty fifth, twenty twenty three, at seven p.m. Tickets will be ten dollars each. Excellent. Uh, uh, Alex, all the best to you, and thanks so much. 
Yes, and I'd like to thank you and all everyone at VOCM for supporting me all the time. And you can get the tickets right there at the door at uh, St. Mary's Auditorium on Craig Miller Avenue. Uh, and Alex has been doing that for a while. You might recall it uh, during COVID. He was doing these little concerts out on his lawn for people when we had to do all the isolation and, you know... Which is so important to attend these events, not only for charity, but how many of us miss what Christmas is all about, the togetherness and just being with each other, because we're so caught up in all the to-do stuff that we have to do. But to take the time to go to something like that, um, you know, it, it makes your Christmas or it makes your holidays. And it's all towards a worthwhile cause. Yeah. Bridges to Hope does a lot of uh, important work in the community. So, uh, yeah, there you go. And we'll see a lot more of these types of events as the days uh, draw on, as we get closer to Christmas. Hard to imagine now. What is it, 21st Five today? Weeks-ish. Just imagine. Now I know. In a blink of an eye, we'll all be hitting the sales after Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> or not. We're avoiding them like the plague. Yeah. Um, some uh, more encouraging news out of that very distressing situation in Israel and Gaza. It appears as though Israel and the Hamas militant group close to a deal to temporarily halt a six-week war. So dozens of hostages being held in the Gaza Strip can be freed in exchange for Palestinians in Israeli prisons. Hamas predicts a Qatari mediated deal could be reached within hours. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie says Canada wants any deal to include the release of all 240 hostages and for Israel to let all foreign nationals leave Gaza. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is holding top-level meetings and told troops at a training base that he hopes there will be good news soon. So we'll be watching that very closely. Of course, a very distressing situation that is on folded there since those attacks on October the 7th and the um, sub- subsequent um, response from Israel um, on Hamas and the uh, just overwhelming really so uh, we hope for the very best there and that this uh, situation might finally come to uh, an end which is interesting that it's on World Hello Day, which began in response to the conflict between Egypt and Israel back in 1973. And it's where people around the world use today as an opportunity to express their concern for world peace. World Hello Day. Mm-hmm. I yeah. haven't heard I, that. I know. I just kind of did a little bit of research today on, you know, because every day is something, right? Yes. But this is a worldhelloday.org. And it it started, like I said, back in 1973, and it all is centering around the importance of sending messages to leaders to encourage world peace um, and use communication rather than force when it comes to conflicts. How very interesting. Um, and I notice uh, also in the news today, uh, Prince Harry planning to appeal to the British government to release key evidence in his phone hacking lawsuit against the publisher of the Daily Mail. Of course, um, we all know what the paparazzi, <laughs> um, the much vilified paparazzi are all about. And um, a really a different atmosphere in a place like the UK. If you've been to the UK and you see... Um, the various um, 
newspapers and the like. Uh, it's a really different... Seems like there's a lot less boundaries. Different atmosphere, yeah, all together, and a lot of competition there, so mm -hmm. they're all trying to outdo each other with the sensational stories and headlines and the like it really is different than what we're accustomed to here uh, during a court hearing today a lawyer for the duke of sussex says he will ask government ministers to lift restrictions imposed by an inquiry over 10 years ago in a scandal involving eavesdropping eavesdropping journalists sorry earlier this month the judge ruled that the lawsuit brought by the prince elton john and other public figures can proceed to trial but could not rely on evidence that associated newspapers had confidentially turned over to the inquiry and of course uh, Prince Harry in particular very sensitive to this because of, his of what happened to his mom mm -hmm. um, and how she was just hounded her entire life she was not born into that and just you know from the moment that uh, you know the word got out that she was engaged uh, she was absolutely hounded every month now she you know towards the end of her life she was starting to use that in her uh, advantage to, to her advantage to promote her mm -hmm. own you know causes uh and that sort of thing but um you know overwhelming for the best of people let alone anybody who's not ready for it and it's great that some people are taking these papers to task because you know if you didn't can you imagine what it would be like in another 10 years for instance yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, very interesting. We'll be watching that closely as well. Well, that's it for us for today. Do join us tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everyone, and bye-bye for now.